Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm speaking today with Josh Witten, who is a social innovator, an eco-entrepreneur, and he specializes in doing what he calls planetary interventions. Um, Very, very much focused on the regenerative space and is also the... uh, inspiration and energy behind a worldwide organization called Make Soil. So Josh, thanks so much for taking time to talk with us. Hi Eric, glad to be here. So that the project that you're working on or the organization that you've started or the movement that you've seeded around composting, Give us a little bit of the background of, of, of how that came to you as something that you thought was sufficiently personally interesting to, to put your time into it, but also sufficiently potentially impactful that you thought it was worth the time. Sure. Uh, I was really asking the question of how could I impact global consciousness as much as possible? And it was pretty funny because whenever I would ask that question of myself and sit and kind of ruminate on an answer or muse for a while, uh, instead of leading worldwide meditations or getting more people to do yoga or any kind of beautiful thing like that, I kept having memories and images of 10 years prior when I had been running a community garden as well as an urban farm in my spare time as a tech entrepreneur. And I just kept seeing how my neighbors and I had made soil together, had composted together for the first time, all of us. And it left a lifelong um, change in all of us. It was, it was a, a transformative experience. And so I just, I, I, at first I was really bothered by why I kept seeing all this soil making and composting when I was trying to talk about something like consciousness or, or think about something like consciousness. And then I realized I had this kind of moment where I realized that people being kind to the planet, changing the relationship to the planet, starting with 
that piece of nature that all of us are in control of every, of every day, the food, the food waste, the remnants of the earth that have fed us, that stewarding these little pieces back into earth was the biggest, uh, most powerful way that I could address uh, consciousness in the world. And so the vision was born to spread this simple practice to the mainstream until it becomes unconscionable for us to ever put the earth into the trash can again. I like the fact that one of the one of the factors that was involved there from the very start was that group. Yeah. You know, you, you talked you talked about doing compost together. You didn't talk about you know, a group of, a group of people learning to compost. It, it, it seemed like you were really emphasizing the social element of that. Yes, and. I can be a bit uh, introverted in nature. So it's not that I'm some sort of extrovert who just was jumping to meet my neighbors. To, to be totally honest with you, I had been living where I was living for years and knew very few of my neighbors. I don't think I hadn't even talked to the guy in the flat across the hall. We just always left for work at different times. And, but when I realized that, uh, when I stumbled onto the fact that all this stuff I'd been throwing into the garbage, thinking it was garbage, was not, it was not trash at all, and that it could turn into living earth, I was so uh, elated and uh, shocked that this might be true uh, that I just decided I had to experiment with it and find out. And, and so to be perfectly uh, transparent, I, just, I remember running out to this little compost bin that I built with a friend. I'm, I'm, it's not that I didn't have any friends, but I, we built a compost bin. And then I remember dumping my scraps into it as a single guy, a week's worth of scraps. And it was, it, it just landed in the bottom of this giant empty bin. And I realized, oh, wow, I'm going to need more scraps. And so I just rather innocently went door to door and asked people if they would start bringing their scraps and really to help me out. I said I needed more scraps. And it, and it built so much community. And that's when I met my neighbors and we all had an amazing time and uh, the rest is history. But the, the social components, uh, and I think it's not even that I don't like people and I don't like groups. I just, find that, I just find that the ways that humans are meant to socialize are told what, what social activities are, are oftentimes just so vapid that I just didn't have an interest in those. But doing meaningful things together, wow, that's, that's a good time. It strikes me too that that um, there's kind of instinctive, and then there's uh, surprising, <laughs> and then there's traditional, and then there's prescribed ways of social interaction. And right. in our society, currently, most of what's available, or most of what is visible, is the prescribed. Yeah. Right. I mean, I live, I live in a <laughs> suburban area in the Netherlands right now on the outskirts of a city, medium sized city. Yeah. And it's you know, like, like most places in Europe, the city center is this incredible, uh, you know, collection of medieval architecture and, 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 and you can kind of do cross sections through time up to the current moment uh, in terms of the buildings and, and that sort of thing. So it's really interesting to take a walk around there. But every time I go into a, you know, an urban center, I'm struck by the fact that the only options 
to entertain oneself or to meet with other people involve consumption. It involves right. purchasing something, you know? Right. And this idea that people might actually really enjoy producing instead of consuming, you know, I think that's got legs. Um, Absolutely. I love the, the, the way you broke it down with all this, yeah. It's, it, it stirs something really basic in, 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 a, in a social species you know, and a social tool using species such as human. Well, I haven't looked at it in a while, but, I'm, but I bet somewhere on that hierarchy of needs that Maslow theorized, the, there's creating, the need to create, it's probably up there on one of those spiritual needs, but a really innate drive. I imagine it is, you know, like I've, I've spent a certain amount of time working with small children in the classroom. Um, and obviously, you know, if there's family around and, and, and that sort of thing as well, but that's there from the start until the system kind of totally stifles it. <laughs> Beats it out, dismantles it. Yeah, dis dis dissolves that. Right. There's somebody once said, you know, when, a, when you uh, talk to a child uh, young enough and, and you do something and they see you doing it, they run up and say, let me do it. And then when you check on them four or five years later, their shoulders are slumping and they say, what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sad. yeah. It's sad, isn't it? It's really, really sad. No, oh, but you're so right. And I want to, I want to just belabor that point a little bit more. I remember a decade and a half ago, maybe in my mid twenties, early twenties, but I realized that the joy of creation, I wanted to, uh, I very consciously decided I, I wanted to be a, a pro producer more than a consumer. I saw that, uh, spectrum that one could be on and uh and this brings up a broader point as well you know that narrative of we have to be consuming socially when we're together consuming always consuming it's it's this narrative for you know the economy and the funny thing is even though i made my living as a tech entrepreneur and did okay in capitalism and all that stuff the only answer I see to this kind of economic conundrum we're in where the economy is something that consumes the planet as a raw material is, is to start working with nature to produce things like to plant seeds and to let the sun and the rain fall onto those seeds and life springs out of it and people start eating food from gardens. And in other words, there's this blasphemous thing that I believe in, which is that uh, if we were living in harmony with the earth, we wouldn't need so much of this thing called economy. We wouldn't need as much economy as we think we need. And right now we don't know how much economy we need. It's endless, right? It just needs to be, the consumption just needs to be going ever higher and higher. And it's not satisfying for people. It misses that creative element. And, you know, one funny quick story, uh, uh, you know, we, we encourage people to, to build um, compost bins together as well before they make soil together. And I was, I was with a friend and I was helping him do this and we were coming from the lumber store and we were, you know, we had all this uh, wood and we were going to build this uh, compost in. And this guy is, he's kind of like, his job is like internet marketing or something like that, his profession. And we're in the car driving. We've jammed the car full of like uh, long pieces of lumber and tools and, and you know, nails and stuff. And he just looks over at the, in the car at me and it's hilarious. We have this wood between us. And, he's, and I remember this moment, he says, he says, Josh, we're, we're 
like we're doing something. Like he's looking at the wood. He's like, we're, we're, we're going to do something to help the planet. It was just this kind of funny moment where he was, what he was saying was, I can't believe I'm not just clicking and tapping and swiping right now. Like we're doing something. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's, um, that's an experience I would just so like to see everybody having. But it, it does sound like, I'm gonna just kind of come back to the makesoil.org. Um, I mean, it almost ought to be makesoil.movement. Um, yes. You know, because this has, I think, both the intentional and the, poten and the potential um, to do exactly that. You know, it's like, it's what I love about the simplicity of it. You know, many, several, several years ago when I was still living in Dublin, Ireland, um, and we had a group house with five people and the city would give us these kind of green plastic cones that you set out and to put compost into. And we had um, kind of moved up to needing five of them. They were about four and a half foot tall and almost two feet across at the base. You know, so they, they had a big volume in them, but I got everyone in the household. Wow. Um, you know, aware of recycling and composting and what, what, you know, could be composted, what not, and that sort of thing. And it was one, one day it just struck me that the key to sort of like happy society in some sense was very simple. And the way I put it was make soil, grow food, feed your neighbors. Yeah. And it's I so think satisfying. in many ways it still comes down to that. It does, and that experience you just described is is a rarity. And so the the average person, the the majority of society, the division of labor, the industrial education system, all this sort of thing means that that simple, satisfying, interdependent, fundamental experience you just described of making soil, growing food, sharing it with your neighbors, is an experience that's almost nobody has today comparatively for especially urban dwellers so let's change that that's the plan so give us uh, give the listeners kind of an idea of how how the make soil um, program i guess through the website because that's probably going to be the first way they interact with it um you know kind of how that how that lays out in terms of their engagement with it yeah Yes. Yeah, so the first thing to understand is that this is not just an educational project where we publish a PDF or a paper or a marketing piece. This is a, this is a web platform that's just the right amount of technology necessary to help organize uh, a movement, as you said. And so it's important for people to realize they can actually go to makesoil.org and find what we call a soil site near them and begin participating. Or if they happen to know how to compost well or make soil as we like to call it, then they can go to makesoil.org and create a soil site. And if you're looking to do something about, you know, climate change, if you want to improve the resilience of your, neighborhood and society as a whole, if you want to have better relationships in your community, if you want your kids to be smarter and in touch with reality, <laughs> how the planet works, there's, there's almost no single more important thing you can do than to, than to begin making soil with your neighbors. And it took me 10 years to really understand why, but 
it just, it's the first little feedback loop that when we complete that, it starts to change everything else in our lives. It's just one act that is practical and symbolic and psychological and spiritual all at the same time. And so the Make Soil platform is there to make that experience common, to make it mainstream until it is unconscionable for food scraps to ever go into the, to the garbage again. So we're, we're, we're scaling kind of the beauty of Make Soil is that we, we've hit on this one thing, which is a very simple interaction with one's neighbors and with one's food scraps and organic matter. It's a very simple interaction that we intend to scale millions and hundreds of millions of times all over the earth. And so that's, uh, that's what you'll find an on-ramp to that when you go to makesoil.org. One of the things I, that I, I caught my eye kind of, you know, really quickly when I went to the website was the global, was the world map, you know, with the, with the, the spots indicated where there are projects happening. Mm-hmm. Um, any idea at the current moment, how many countries have, have got people activated? Wow, I've thought of, I've I've looked at the numbers from many different angles, and I hadn't ever really thought of the countries. I don't know why. Maybe it's thinking so globally, you realize how made up these lines are between the the, the countries. Uh, but we have over uh, four hundred soil sites that have joined uh, just in the past year that we've been live, and something like fourteen or fifteen hundred uh, households who are participating. And I also forgot to mention earlier that, uh, that this is based on however simple it looks, it's based on a number of insights that um, have never been put together at this scale before. So it's, it's, it's just, it's just kind of like a recipe we've made with, with some, some curious ingredients that have been discovered here and there, but not all brought together in one place. And so one of those, for example, is of course there've been many, composting advocacy initiatives up to this point. But one thing we figured out was for uh, every person who actually knows how to make soil or wants to learn to compost seriously, there are a hundred people who do not, but who are also unhappy putting their food scraps in the garbage. And they would just love somewhere to take the food scraps. They would love to put in a 10th of the energy as the soil maker, but still participate. They don't have the time or interest to really learn about the whole process yet, though they will get a bit hooked as time goes on and want to learn more and more. And so all the time we'll meet people and I'll tell them about make soil and they'll say, Oh, I already compost at home. And I say, yes, but have you ever gone door to door and invited your neighbors to participate? And almost always they say, no, I just never thought of that. (laughs) So it's really a subtle, a subtle behavior change we're asking of everybody. Well, I think like one of the things that you talked about or you do talk about in, in, in your information on the site and some of the other uh, interviews I've, I've listened to that you've given is, uh, well, one, that it's moved compost making from waste management to social, to fun, social, creative activity. That's right. And I think that's, that's pure magic and, uh, you know, pure magic verging on alchemy, perhaps, with the process itself. It is meant to be, that's exactly, it's meant to be a transformative experience that, that, that leaves, us, uh, leaves us 
changed and it is, it is an act of creation. Honestly, Eric, as detached as uh, dissociated as people are from nature and the natural processes, even if anyone out there thinks they understand compost because they saw, you know, a video or a presentation and that, and they're happy putting their stuff into the green bin that the city picks up. If you're lucky enough to have one of those programs, uh-huh. it is still nothing like witnessing the earth transform itself back into this dark black humus. Like it's just, it has to be experienced firsthand and people, they'd never, they'd never believe me until they start participating and then weeks and weeks go by and they actually watch all this stuff disappear and soil build up in its place. And there's just this magical moment where they see the world forever differently after that moment, but it has to be experienced. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm, I mean, I've been composting probably since I was about seven or eight years old. Wow. Cause I, I used to be a, um, just, voracious reader um, and made a lot of use of the city library and I came across some really early organic gardening books and of course the the thing that they were all talking about was composting. Amazing. So ever since then I've been doing it and now I feel really like acutely uncomfortable if I'm in a living situation and we aren't composting and there doesn't seem to be a place to like put the bin and and this sort of thing but of course with with soil sites that wouldn't be a, um, you know, that wouldn't be a, like a restraint, you know? That's right. Because I could find someone locally who does have a site for it and, That's right. and participate in that sense. And it's as you say, once, once you've had that experience, it is very difficult and painful actually to, to take the earth and to put it into a trash can, a plastic bag, you know, that's going to the landfill. It just seems disrespectful. And it, it's, it's very, it becomes, it, it, you know, when I said we all experienced so much transformation in those early days when I was making soil with my neighbors, that's what they told me for years afterwards. They would say, Josh, you know, ever since we did that together, when we lived in those apartments, I can't stand to watch uh, things, you know, the earth be thrown away like that. I, 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 it just hurts me. I have to compost or you know, take it somewhere or hire a service if the city doesn't have one. And that's what struck me for that decade was just how many people reached out to me years later and said that ever since we did that together, they just couldn't stand by and sort of see the planet be treated in such a disrespectful way. And I thought, wow, you, you look at what the global situation is now and we're struggling to, to get some behavior change. We're struggling, you know, if you, if you business 101, if you go to try to sell a product and they, and, and number job number one is to get people to significantly change their behavior in some kind of way that would seem less consumptive or this or that it's, you're considered doomed. You don't want to do that. You don't want to have to educate people. You don't want to have to depend on behavior change. And that's what we absolutely need. So, so badly right now. And then I saw just how people automatically change their behavior once they had this new, more beautiful experience with the planet. And I thought, oh my gosh, we've got something here. People are, people are changing their behavior quite naturally if they, if they just get hooked. And so the way we hook people is we just say, look, you don't have to learn how to compost. Just find a soil site near you. Find a soil maker. There's, there's a, there could be a soil maker in your neighborhood who would, who would be happy to take that, uh, those food scraps off your hands. And it just feels good. 
people start to take that uh, matter to the soil site, it feels positive, it feels nice. They sprinkle some leaves on top, they touch some living soil, they go back to their homes or their jobs or their desks, and it was a positive experience. And then they walk up to that trash can and they go to dump the coffee grounds in or whatever, and they just stop because now it feels unpleasant. And that comparison for people has been missing. And so we're giving people that comparison, uh, that experience uh, for them to choose from. We're, we're going to give everyone that, that experience to choose from. It's the, I think it's, well, it, in, in some sense, it's like a gateway you know, it's a gateway it activity is. or a gateway yes. experience that then yes. enables people to think more broadly, to think to like, well, what else could I be doing? Completely. And it's it is so a gateway experience. That it's so important that that is associated with like a tangible success. That's right. What I, what I figured out a couple of years ago when I was asking the question of why was the behavior change so easy once people just started bringing their scraps, I, I had this conclusion I came to, which is that the human mind updates very quickly if we complete feedback loops. And if you don't complete feedback loops and something stays vague and abstract and the cause and effect are, are, have too much time between them, it's, the mind is very stubborn. But if you complete that feedback loop, uh, the mind can update very quickly. That's a really useful insight. Yeah. Really useful. We're going to take a break now, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind & Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind & Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind & Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa, who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind & Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A dot com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennep. Welcome back to Designers of Paradise, where we're speaking today with Josh Witten from Makesoil.org. I also think about how we protect our hearts, how we protect our emotions from situations that seem irresolvable mm. or um, doomed to provide massive uh, letdown and disappointment. Mm -hmm. And that taking an action such as such as making compost, such as doing some ecological restoration, such as putting up a birdhouse. I mean, there's a lot of different things that, that you could work at. Um, it puts a wedge into that in, in, in a sense, mm -hmm. in, in that it becomes safe to start thinking about other positive change mm -hmm. and less of a risk that you might just end up frustrated and disappointed for kind of opening yourself up to hope. You're spot on. And what I see now is that there's been, there's been a fair amount of attempt to educate everyone on the state of the planet. And I'd say a lot of people still don't know what meaningful action they can take to actually change the situation or what exactly is causing the situation. But I'd say a lot of the world 
feels vaguely ashamed to be alive. <laughs> right? that, we, that we know that humans are more or less behaving like a scourge and we can't seem to help ourselves and just about anything we do is bad for the planet. And, there, and there's, so there's that vague sort of understanding of that in the population now. And that's not a pleasant thought to walk around with. That's not a pleasant way to feel. And so what we do is we desensitize ourselves. We, we do that act of closing the heart. So, so we don't feel that shame. Shame is probably the worst feeling emotion that there is because it means we're, we're fundamentally bad at some level. And there, there isn't a lot of um, outlet for that today. There isn't a lot of uh, remediation for that today. Uh, and so, or at least it seems like they're not. And what we're doing with this project is we're saying, oh no, there is an opportunity to, to be something other than a scourge on the planet. In fact, the human being, if it really realized it, could become the single most regenerative animal on the planet. We've got a long way to go, but if you think about it, other animals all play their part in regeneration as part of an ecosystem, sort of unconsciously. They're, they're doing what they do by virtue of millions of years of evolution and, and they play a part in the ecosystem. The humans are the one animal who can say, what part do I want to play? How big a role uh, do I want to play? And just how harmonious with the planet can I possibly be? Can I, can I take my own impact down to zero? Can I go beyond taking my impact down to zero and actually be a force of repair and protection for the planet? But the sky is the limit. Human, humanity could, and I believe if it survives, it will be because we actually embrace the new identity for ourselves as a regenerative creature, an animal in the ecosystem that has incredible capacity either to do harm or to regenerate. And that, that, that possibility is too abstract and unknown to people. But the moment they shepherd these food scraps and bits of leaves and sawdust or whatever they're using and see that new earth emerge in the process and hold that dark black living substance that emerges from this, the identity suddenly shifts because, and this is the punchline, Eric, for most people, that will be the very first regenerative experience they have ever participated in. That's so profound. Um, and I also, I, I have a sense that there's a triggering that happens there and it's almost as if it's triggering something quite um, primordial in the sense that it's equally a memory of potential that is buried deep within our psyche and taking that action and, and, and connecting up with the energy of it and the, and, and seeing the, you know, the demonstrated results triggers that. And it helps us to start remembering that other potential, that other role that you were describing as, as military right. stewards. Yes. It's like, it, it, I think some of the most powerful uh, em, emotional impressions we get are of that nature where it's a rediscovery of something at the level where there's a part of us, a part of our awareness that 
says, oh, yeah, I think I already knew that. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful moment. Yeah, completely. Sometimes I, I call the whole journey of being human or, or growing or this, the path of spirituality or, or however you want to frame it as simply the remembering it mm-hmm. just seems to be the, the, the phrase that just seems most uh, appropriate uh, at times. And, you know, to get, if we wanted to get very philosophical, we could say that so many of our uh, troubles, or maybe all of them, result from misperception, untruth, right? So not understanding what this reality is, what the earth is, and who we are. And so any step we take toward remembering what this really is, what, what this opportunity really represents and what we really are and who we really are. It's healing. It's generative. It's, it's, it's transcendent, right? But that's, that may be the whole process that the universe is uh, in process of and unfolding at every level. I think the healing part is equally significant. Um, even to, even, even to sort of bring it back towards literally earth um, from this kind of expanded, more cosmic sense of what it's all about, that literally with the fingers in the soil, you know, there's a healing process that takes place in the individual. Yes. And of course, because things are so interconnected, when, when we get a critical mass and there's probably a very broad range of numbers that would constitute that critical mass. When we get a critical mass within community of individuals who are going through uh, remembering, literally putting it Mm -hmm. back together, right? Mm -hmm. The the opposite of dismembered, um, that community healing is possible. Yeah. It's not just the individuals any longer. Yeah. And that's so, that's so important right now for so many different reasons. Um, you know, when, when we look at, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, when, I, when I moved to the Netherlands last, last autumn, one of the first things that I did was run across some people with a, with a movement, Extinction Rebellion, and have started talking with them and, and trying to give them, um, you know, my, my, my support as a resource and, and um, just find different ways to, to be helpful there. Um, and one of the things that's, that's very clear from the people I've worked with, not just in Extinction Rebellion, but so many, so many other issues that have to do with human rights, uh, indigenous people's rights, the, the earth itself, regenerative agriculture, being open to the damage that's happening on the planet is of course really stressful, right? There's, there's, there is um, a huge propensity for depression when you engage in nothing but struggle or when you engage in a way that is only through struggle. And that counterbalancing of being able to have a garden or being able to make the soil as the first step towards that is very therapeutic. And I think it's very necessary because in, in terms of kind of world changing movements, it's really important for us to remember that it's not enough to just stand in opposition to things. That's right. We've got to be putting out a counter vision yeah. 
of what we want. And so then that comes back to that sort of potential yeah. that of, you know, being planetary stewards, <laughs> right? It just comes full circle. It does. And I go around, you know, I could be doing a lot of different things, right? And so the fact that I'm focused on getting people to make soil together through any means necessary, it's, it's kind of hilarious. I just have to chuckle sometimes. And people will come to me with all these complicated problems and a lot of that oppositional energy. And, and they'll say, what do we do? And what can we do? And, and I just laugh and I say, you're going to, I know I sound like a broken record, but I'm serious. The best thing you could possibly do would be to make soil. And they're just like, no, no, no. My, you know, the politicians don't get it. And my neighbors are idiots or whatever, whatever the thing is that's causing that oppositional uh, energy. I say, no, listen to me, make soil with them. You know, that politician, they live somewhere and they have a neighbor. And I bet you that neighbor has never invited them to start bringing their food scraps over to the compost pit, right? To the soil site. And, and I'm completely serious here. So this, you know, let's, let's take this hypothetical uh, conflict an opposition with somebody, this political party or an individual. And then, you know, let's just, okay, we'll do it your way. We could, we could just pick it or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, sh shame them on Twitter. <laughs> you know, there's many techniques we could use these days. Or imagine they're your neighbor and you just go over and knock on their door and, said, and say, I'm growing some food. I need more soil. Would you help me out and start bringing your food scraps to my little compost bin over here. I'd really appreciate it. Did you just feel the difference in that energy? It makes them melt. And yeah. they say, oh, I'll help you out. That's how they start. Oh, I'll help you out. Sure. What do you need? Oh, my coffee grounds, my, my dirty napkins. And they're like, well, okay, you know, the carrot tops. Okay. You're like, it's happy to help. Okay. And then they start participating and it transforms them. And so, I guarantee that the, the, the oppositional characters that we're seeing on the world stage today, they have not had this regenerative experience. They are not connected with the earth. And in fact, to be honest, Eric, half the people picketing aren't either. And people come to these rallies and they do things and they make garbage and throw the earth into a trash can. And, and it's time for everybody just to say, look, we're all out of touch with the planet. We're all destroying the planet in some way by our existence right now. Let's agree that the planet is not garbage and let's just make soil together, whoever you are, whatever your political affiliation. And I promise you, if we went that path, all these conversations that we need to have would go a lot, a lot better. They'd be certainly a lot more human. <laughs> they would be. <laughs> And then That's at right. some point, you know, months later, you go back over and you've got like a little basket of fresh tomatoes. That's it. And you're like, thank you so much for your food scraps. This is what they grew. That's it. That's, that's another feedback loop. Making the soil is one powerful feedback loop. Planting a seed and eating what comes from it is another feedback loop. Foraging in nature and, and eating what the planet produces without any of our effort is another feedback loop. But if we just start completing these feedback loops, we'll find that we're all more human than we're, than we're allowing other people to be. The demonizing falls away. And moreover, people who watch the planet regenerate, people who make soil together, they just 
want to start taking better care of the planet because the earth becomes a living system that they can perceive and it feels better. Remember the feedback loop, it just feels better. And so people naturally begin to want to take better care of the planet once they have this experience. They no longer need to be scared into it or, or made afraid by scary statistics or the thought of losing their job or not being reelected or whatever. That's the kind of motivation we're so often pointing at people these days. And then you find instead people just, they just want to take better care of the planet, even if they thought it was a, a big liberal scheme to destroy the economy or have socialism take over or whatever, just the whole environmental issue just goes away and they just, they start to just feel toward, toward the earth, same sort of care that they might feel toward their own mother. And that's very human and that's fundamental and that is more primal and primordial than, than all this demonizing and projecting we're doing on each other. It, it, it strikes me as, as, it's on a continuum with a potluck supper, mm-hmm. but, you, but you know, in the town hall mm-hmm. kind of thing, mm-hmm. not, not just necessarily with your neighbor, but where you sit down with people you don't, you normally talk with and you find common ground. Yes. And everyone goes home feeling satisfied. That's right. And the funny thing about traditions like that, the, the potluck at the town hall or different religious traditions, and this is kind of the this is kind of what I what I bring is this fresh mix of uh, of of integrating all those things and kind of having this perspective on all these things. But if you look at those traditions and religions and and practices, community practices, they're great, but they were mostly devised in a time where there weren't eight billion people and the planet wasn't in this bad of shape environmentally. And so it's time to to uh, to create new traditions and new shared activities around regeneration and bringing ourselves into harmony with the earth you know i i joke that uh you go look at most most religions and spiritual traditions and they they might have one or two sentences about being kind to living creatures or this or that uh or right livelihood or being good stewards but there was not a global environmental catastrophe looming when these sages and prophets were teaching. And so I have to remind people that uh, just because the Buddha didn't say, uh, look, you should really compost, like it's probably what he would say today. <laughs> I would think so. I mean, I would hope so, you know, like the, the, the bow tree need, needs to be fed too. Yes. Um, Something I think I think about quite quite often when I just kind of get frustrated with with uh, you know, the, the way things don't seem to be moving forward positively reconstructively quickly enough. Um, I drop my thinking kind of down, looking for pivotal causes. So when I say down, I mean sort of like almost digging towards the foundation of something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I end up at the species level. Um, and one of the, and, and that I find really actually helps me to understand behavior and, and then try to kind of innovate or, or, or find other ways to help people 
realign or to trigger certain actions and that sort of thing. On a species level, human beings are incredibly obsessive. So many of our problems in the, on the planet have some kind of aspect of really obsessive behavior driving them. Rather than trying to tell people not to obsess, I think it's probably much more effective to help shift the focus of that obsessive behavior. Mm -hmm. If we can get everyone obsessing about making soil from their food scraps, then there's an energy that kind of carries that forward um, exponentially. Yes. Do you know? The same way uh, people are now just frantically swiping through their Twitter accounts. Yeah. Or whatever else, you know, binging on plastic fashion and all these things we know cause problems. Yeah. Yeah, there's obsessions that probably, you know, being, I guess what, what part of what you're saying is it, it matters what you're obsessed with, right? And there are things we can be obsessed with that do us damage, does damage to our psyche, to our identity, uh, to our hearts. And there's things we can be obsessed with that are part of our healing and that heal us. And so, uh, you know, if I'm somewhere and I end up with a banana peel in a dirty, napkin, a used napkin, uh, you could call it obsessed, but I stick it in my pocket and I bring it home. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I would too. And then, and I've even, you know, I've been like clipping my fingernails uh, somewhere before and, and uh, you know, I'm traveling or I'm at a friend, you know, wherever I'm staying with a friend or something and I, I collect them and I take them outside if they don't have a compost and I, I bury them in the yard or something. You just, just very quickly. And they said, what did you do? Did you just bury your fingernails? But oh yeah. I mean, why would I, why would I send this piece of myself to a garbage dump? I mean, it's, it's much, much nicer if it goes back into the earth, you know, and, and they'll call me up a year later and say, you know, ever since that moment, like I can't throw my, you know, my fingernails in the garbage either, you know, or when they, when they brush their hair, you know, now they're putting their hair into their, their garden or their compost. And it's just, you could call it obsessive, but it actually, it's, it's one of these simple, beautiful experiences that doesn't cost anything. And, you know, where I'd see people scraping their food into the compost because they knew I was coming or whatever, but they're not doing it very well. You know, they're still leaving lots of big chunks of stuff on the plate. And I say, Hey, I know it looks just like a, a noodle, but that's, that's hundreds of millions of molecules, you know, like, <laughs> and, they, and that's just ever since that moment, we'll say, you know, now I see that that's hundreds of millions of molecules. I, I'm, and I'm like God to that little noodle, you know, I decide whether it goes to a garbage dump or whether it is reborn into the earth. And so I think being obsessed like this is exactly what's called for right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really think so too. Um, that's a nice funny note to end on because we're, we're about at the end of the hour sure. but before we go um, are there uh, last uh, messages or, or thoughts you want to leave with the listeners before we yes. close yeah that is to, to make it clear that uh, makesoil.org the movement the make soil movement is uh, a nonprofit initiative that's uh, heading it up and I don't make a penny and uh, I made it a nonprofit and, and saw that I would personally not see anything ever come from it, not even any financial support. 
as long as you're pro-planet, you would just like to see the planet continue to survive at a higher state of complexity and not have to go through a great die-off and all this kind of thing, then just get on board and start making soy with your neighbors and you're going to love it. And so I've, we've been trying to remove every single possible barrier, psychological or otherwise, that would hinder people from just realizing this is the one thing we can all just do together. No ifs, ands, or buts. And then the last thing I'll say is as a nonprofit uh, that can never be co-opted by a company or hostile takeover or any of these things, we do need funding. We need support. I can't, I can't fund a global movement all my, all by myself. And there's so much money sloshing around there today. And I see these grants come out, you know, hundred million dollar grants to, you know, save the planet. And, and we just, it's, you know, we could either, we could either spend six months of our lives trying to win that grant, or we could spend six months starting soil sites and teaching people to be soil makers. And we just, we always find that's the better approach, but we could use, we could use some funding. So if anybody out there, any amount is helpful, especially because this is a mass movement, but it's really, it's really a little regenerative machine we've built here where we put time and money and effort into one end of, of the, uh, make soil function and we get planetary regeneration, elevated consciousness, resilient community, better food systems. We get all of that stuff out of the other side. So please just support us either by finding a soil site near you, starting a soil site or making a donation. Or why not do all three? All three. If you want, if you just want to feel that good, you could let yourself do all three. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Josh, thanks so much once again for taking the time. I've really enjoyed the, the little journey we took here. Eric, it's been a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll be in contact again soon. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of Designing Paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.